You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Well, love is in the air. You know what I'm talking about. This is a friendly reminder to all the husbands in the room. This Thursday is February 14th. February 14th is what? Valentine's Day. I'm reminding you. I had one husband after the first service say, I'm really glad you reminded me. It was not on his radar. So we've all been warned. It's on the radar now. There are no excuses. Um, I want to encourage all of us, but especially husbands, would you take the time and the thought to make uh, Valentine's Day just a very special day? And when I say special, I'm not saying that you need to come up with some grand plan that breaks the bank. Uh, Most often, um, it's the small Uh, most thoughtful things that become most meaningful. It doesn't have to be big. Just just take the time to think about it. And then I want to encourage you, uh, don't forget the Valentine's Day card. I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) Can I tell you my story? Um, Some years ago, early on in our marriage, while we were pastoring in Southern California, um, our church was going to have a very large Valentine's Day event. It was a concert, and we were expecting a couple of thousand people to come in. It was all hands on deck, and so Cammie and I talked ahead of time, and we, we made a decision together that we were not going to celebrate Valentine's on Valentine's Day. So Valentine's came, and Valentine's went, And my wife gave me a card on Valentine's Day, and I gave her nothing. (laughs) But here's the deal. We said, all the guys in the room, you're going to get, we said we're not celebrating. I did not know the unspoken expectation that I would at least get a card. She said, you could have just done it on a post-it note. So uh, now I know... Uh, this is hopefully helpful to you. And so when Valentine's rolls around now, um, she doesn't just get one card. She gets two cards. She gets a serious one and a funny one to try to make up. For, um, yeah. And the shopping for the funny ones are, are, are actually really, really, really fun. Um, here's uh, one more thing that I would say. Husbands, in, in buying this card, don't wait till the last minute. Because what's going to happen is if you wait to the last minute, you're going to go to the greeting card aisle and you're going to find it just surrounded, filled with husbands looking over the few remaining cards that are left. They don't have envelopes. And here's the last thing that I want to say. A sympathy card or a bar mitzvah card is not a creative substitute. It really just doesn't work. She's on to you if you do that. She knows you waited till the last minute. So there's still plenty of time. Um, Speaking of Valentine's Day cards, um, I would like to ask that we never develop a philosophy, a personal philosophy of love based on what we find in Valentine's Day cards. Uh, I, I went a little, I went shopping and um, I brought a few cards this morning. I've had several husbands say, will those cards be available? Somebody said, are you going to send them to your wife? I said, I can't. I already looked at them. But the reason I say don't develop a philosophy of love off of Valentine's cards is because not that they're bad. They're kind of corny. They're kind of shallow. And sometimes they take a little jab. So let me read uh, several to you. This one has a picture of a pug on the front. It says, it's Valentine's Day. Thought you could use some pugs and kisses. The the women, I mean, guys, it sounds like this one might work for you, according to that. Here's what it has a squirrel and a crab on the front, and it says, Sometimes you make me crabby, sometimes you drive me nuts, but we still belong together, no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, This one's kind of corny. It's got a picture of two waffles 
like heart shaped on the front. And when you open it up, it says, I love you a waffle lot. <laughs> Highest bidder. Um, this one says, you still drive me crazy. Mostly in a good way. Uh, nobody gets me like you get me. There might be something wrong with you. (laughs) And finally, this was maybe a little jab. For my husband, a kiss is just a kiss, a sigh is just a a sigh, but a good loud snore means we're happily married. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day. So again, I will be auctioning these cards off right at the end of this service. Um, The envelopes are at home, but I can make sure that I get them for you. No, just kidding. Yeah, and don't worry, Cammie, they're not for you. I'll go and buy the other two cards. Um, you know, I think we could probably say how great that one day a year we have a day set aside that gives tribute to love. And I would say I'm not so sure about that because I have to ask the question, who or what is really getting tribute on Valentine's Day? Let me give you a little history, some behind the scenes about the Valentine's holiday. It might help you see where I'm coming from. Here are a few facts. Valentine's is one of America's most popular holiday with 62% of Americans celebrating by sending cards, uh, giving candy, sending flowers, uh, planning romantic dinners, or some combination of all of the above. The first written Valentines began to appear in the 15th century, and by the 17th century, Great Britain um, had begun a tradition of exchanging cards, and it soon caught on in America. And by 1840, uh, the first in the 1840s was the first mass production of Valentine's Day card, causing Valentine's to explode into the highest consumeristic holiday, probably apart from Christmas. Um, Today, an estimated one billion Valentine's cards are sent each Valentine's Day or exchanged. Um, uh, More than any other holiday, with the exception of Christmas. Uh, Every year for Valentine's, 35 million heart-shaped boxes of candy are produced and sold. And more than 220 million roses are produced just for that day. Um, It's estimated that altogether that Americans spend, listen to this, almost $20 million per year on Valentine's Day. That averages out to about $130 per person. Uh, While the most popular gifts are flowers, candy, like I said, going out to dinner, about 20% of Americans uh, splurge on jewelry. The wives are going, yes, we like that. Um, spending as much as $4 billion annually on one day for jewelry. And then, to top it, uh, at the end of it, it's estimated that about 6 million couples will get uh, engaged this coming Thursday. 6 million couples get engaged on Valentine's Day. So, again, I ask the question... What's it really a tribute to? It sounds like it's actually a tribute to American greed, all in the name of love. Uh, A well-known band, I believe the band was Foreigner, said, I want to know what love is. We only have to look to Scripture to know. Scripture says that God is love. That's the true essence of love. But also when we look through Scripture, we find that um, Scripture talks about different kinds of love. In fact, there are four different kinds of love that we find in Scripture. I don't want to spend long here, but I want to take really just quickly, I want to talk about what those four kinds of love are. So the four kinds of love found in Scripture, the first kind of love is phileo love. 
Phileo love is an affectionate or a brotherly kind of love. When we talk about the city of Philadelphia, what do we say? It's the city of brotherly love. That's, it came from Phileo, Philadelphia, Phileo. It's, uh, we find reference to it in John chapter 13, verse 35. It says, they will know that you, uh, you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Okay, so that's, that's a phileo, love. Another kind of love in Scripture is agape. Uh, this is the perfect, sacrificial, unconditional, pure love. It's the kind of love that God has for us. It's the kind of love that we find in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is how unconditional his love is for us. That while we were still lost in our sin... Father God gave Jesus his son in our lost state. It was unconditional love. There's a third kind of love. The Greek word is storge. And this is the love that's experienced between parents and children uh, and through uh, siblings. In Romans 12.10, uh, it says that it talks about being devoted to one another in love. And it's the storge love. And then finally is eros. Uh, eros is an erotic or a sensual or a romantic love that's designed for marriage. Eros or erotic love is not bad as long as it's within the confines of marriage. It's interesting that in the New Testament, we don't find any evidence of Eros love, but we do in the Old Testament. How many of you have read the Song of Solomon before? Yeah, many of you. If you haven't, you might want to read it before Valentine's Day. It's pretty steamy, but it's in the Bible. I mean, so so, uh, Eros love. So here's what we can know. The Bible isn't anti-love. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It gives greatest place and importance to love. But here's the problem. Our culture has reduced the meaning of love to an immature and uh, uh, misunderstood understanding. We've um, created these sentimental ideals of what love is, and we've allowed things like consumerism, and the media, and Hollywood, and the perversion of pornography to dilute love of its power and to rob it of its intended meaning and its intended purpose. My conviction is that it's not until we fully understand what it means to love God that we'll ever really be able to know and experience love to the fullest degree that God intended. In other words, it's not until we know what it means and we know how to love God that we'll experience love to the fullest degree as God intended in our marriages or within our families or in any relationship that we have. So with that in mind, this morning I want us to go on just a brief discovery process of understanding from Scripture what does it mean? How do we love God? How is love defined in the Bible? And to help us do that, I want to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 12 or swipe there if you're going with your electronic device. Mark chapter 12. And we're going to read, or I'm going to read to you as you follow along, verses 28 through 34. And then we'll talk about it a little bit. Mark 12 Verses 28 to 34. And here's what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, is to lo- and, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So what we have in this story is a man, a teacher of the law, comes to Jesus as a fellow teacher. And he says to Jesus, or asks Jesus a question, which of the laws are most important? Why would he ask that question? He's a teacher of the law. Well, let me give some historical context that I think will help answer it. Um, in the first five books of the Bible, Matthew, uh, Matthew, Mark, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, the Pentateuch, or the, the book of the law, uh, we find that some 613 laws were given. And these laws became the basis for the practice and beliefs of the Jewish people. The problem was it was ultimately impossible to keep all 613 laws. So with that, it generated discussions, particularly among teachers, and they would ask the question, which of the commandments is greatest? And the thought was, is that if we can determine which of the commandments are greatest, we can elevate those commandments to the top of the list. We'll elevate those. We'll focus on those. These will be the ones that we work towards keeping. And these down here... If we don't get to all of them, not so bad. But we want to make sure we keep these. So Jesus responds very simply. And he takes 613 laws and he reduces it down to one commandment, two great truths. And he simply says, uh, the greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, uh, as we look at this passage, what we find is that though God's love is unconditional, as Jesus explains it, there are some requirements and there are some responsibilities involved in loving God, in loving him uh, effectively. And so this morning, that's what we want to look at. We want to look at a couple of requirements, and then we're going to look at the responsibilities, and then we're going to look at how to love the neighbor. Uh, Let me tell you this, the two requirements, and you're kind of getting used to me in this, they're not in your notes. So you get to write these down, and then when we get to the responsibilities, they will be there. Okay, so um, in the end, remember, the answers are always on the back if you miss anything. So um, let's look at the requirements for loving God first. Um, Jesus was actually quoting uh, something called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. You can find it in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five. And as he began to do that, he said, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. The first requirement of loving God is to have a proper recognition of who he is. Must have a proper recognition of who he is. And who is he? Well, Jesus said it very plainly. He is one. So what was he saying? He's saying God is one. God is sovereign. What does it mean that God is sovereign? 
That God is sovereign means that God is the creator of the universe. And as the creator, he owns his creation. Therefore, he can do whatever he pleases with his creation. And he will always act in the best interest of humankind. That's a simple definition of sovereignty. So he's saying God is one. He is sovereign. There is only one God. And that one God is God. There are not other gods There are not other ways. There is only one way. There is only one God. Uh, Because he's sovereign and because we begin or we recognize who he is properly, we have proper recognition of who he is, then it causes us to make an adjustment in our heart and understand that everything that we have or everything that we hope to be comes from the sovereign God out of his goodness. That's a proper recognition of who God is. But he goes on and uh, he says, uh, not only does he say, hear, O Israel, uh, love uh, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But he says, uh, love, uh, love your God. So there's something that Jesus is doing here. He's making it personal. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, not a God who is far off, but our God, our God who is close and personal to us. And then he says, love your God. He's still making it personal. Here's the second requirement of loving God. The second requirement is that we have to have a personal relationship with God. If we're going to love to the fullest degree that God has declared that we should love, then we have to, uh, we have, to have a personal relationship with him. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. Because this is true, that means that it is impossible to love apart from relationship with God. God is love, and we have to have that love living inside of us. And it's when we have that love living inside of us that then we can love in the way that God has called us to love. We can love God the way we're supposed to love God, and we can love others uh, the way we're supposed to love others. And it's only possible through relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only possible. You see, God really isn't a far-off God. God is near, and God has given us access to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. We don't have to have someone else go before God for us anymore. Uh, We don't need the priest to do that. Instead, because of Jesus Christ, we have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And so through relationship with Jesus Christ, this love, God is love, this love begins to live within us. So we have the, response, the, the, the requirements that we have to have a proper recognition of God and that we have to have relationship with him. But what about the responsibilities? Well, uh, we're responsible to love God with all of our heart and all of our mind. That's what Jesus said. We're responsible to love God with all of our heart and all of our mind. Why? Well, our heart... And our mind is the place where our thoughts, our passions, our desires, our appetites, that's where they live. Um, My heart, my mind is the place where the true me lives. We think about things that the scripture says about the heart. The heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. Who can know it? The real me lives here and it it lives here. you see, the problem is that my appetites, my desires, my, my passions, they're flawed. And so it's necessary that I have God 
living inside of me. And as he is there inside of me, what happens is he takes those flawed places and he begins to work in those flawed places and he transforms those flawed places. And as he transforms them, then guess what else is transformed? Our love. The way we love God and the way we love others is transformed because we would love him with our heart and mind, meaning we would offer those things to him. So we love him with all of our heart and all of our mind, but we also love him with all of our soul and all of our strength. In other words, we love him with the intensity of our entire being, everything about us. My soul is the essence of who I am. To love God with all my soul is to love him with everything in me. In order to love God with everything in me, it means that I have to have a constant awareness of God. I have to be constantly aware of him. You may remember a couple of months ago, I used the illustration that oftentimes uh, as believers, we live as uh, bungee cord believers. And you remember I said sometimes what happens is we bungee into church on Sunday morning and when it's over, we bungee back out. And then we go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then on Sunday morning we bungee back in. Church is over and we bungee back in. I heard somebody say, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. It's because we have a tendency to do that. That's not how we were designed to live that relationship out with God, that it's constant. It requires that we have a constant awareness of who God is, and that's why we have to love him with all of our strength, because it takes the strength that we have to maintain that constant awareness. It doesn't just happen. We have to work at it. That's our part in the relationship. God is always there. He doesn't go away, but we we can ignore him. We cannot include him in our day. We can we cannot allow him to be part because we're we're not living within within the strength that we have to be constantly aware of him. And we have to we have to maintain that constant awareness. So we've seen the requirements uh, to have a proper recognition of who he is and to have a, a relationship with him. And the responsibilities are to love him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Um, but, well, let me say this. Uh, it's interesting that we would note we're not commanded to love him with our whole heart, but we're commanded to love him uh, from our heart. In other words, the heart isn't the mechanism that we love him with, but it's the source where we draw our love from. And that's very important. It's a wellspring. Um, So I want to spend just really briefly the last few minutes because Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. So as this love uh, is being transformed in us, as we submit ourselves to God and we our love to him is transformed, um, then the love that we demonstrate to others is also transformed. What does it look like? I want you to look quickly with me at first Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to read to you just uh, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Let me boil that down to four things. How do we demonstrate our love to our neighbors? We demonstrate love to others by being kind. 
we're kind. We demonstrate kindness by being willing to serve other people. There's a difference in being kind and being nice. Nice is more external. I can do uh, something for you. But when I'm kind, it's, it becomes more a way of life. And I'm willing to make adjustments in how I live so that I can serve the people around me. Secondly, we demonstrate our love for others through humility. Love is not so ambitious, so self-centered, or so consumed with itself that it fails to think of the needs of others. Um, that instead, in humility, I am willing to serve those around me. We demonstrate our love for others through selflessness. Love is willing to put itself on the line for others. Love protects, love shields, love guards, love covers, love safeguards others. All of that is true, but I want to say something with that. Um, that's, if, you, if you have been or you find yourself in some kind of abusive relationship, that's not what it's talking about here. You, you don't protect the abusive person. Instead, it's talking about me coming alongside my wife uh, and, and having her front, her back, covering her, protecting her, uh, loving her in such a sacrificial way that she knows that there's someone there for her. And finally, we demonstrate love for others through endurance with others. Love never quits. Love bears trials. Love perseveres. And love never gives up. Have you ever felt like giving up on love? Sometimes it gets a little tough. But we don't ever have to give up on love because God's love who lives in us never gives up on us. And so oftentimes it can seem very impossible to, to live in this love. But because God who is love lives in us, it is possible and we are empowered by his spirit. So I want to give you some homework for the week. It's very simple. Would you begin to have a conversation with God and ask that by his Holy Spirit he would reveal to you just at least one area that you need to make an adjustment in how you love. Just one area. And then as he reveals that to you, you say, okay, God, I'm going to offer that to you because obviously I haven't been doing good in my own strength and power. Would you help me by your spirit make that change, make that adjustment? So then you begin to love differently than you love. It's pretty simple, right? Maybe simpler said than done. Well, why don't you stand? I want to pray for you this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence in this place. And thank you that you are our, our true portrait of love. Thank you for the way you've loved us. Father God, I pray that our understanding of who you are would continue to grow and increase, that we have a right understanding of who you are. I pray that we would deepen in our relationship with you. And I pray that as we do, that um, those flawed places in us would be transformed. And so therefore, our love would be transformed, our love for you and the way we love others. Father God, I pray that you would help us love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. I pray, Father God, that we can love you with everything that's in us. And Father God, I pray that as a people, you would help us in demonstrating our love for others. Help us to do that which seems impossible, Lord, that we would know it's possible. And Father God, today I pray a blessing over this people. I pray for divine health. I pray that you protect them as they go. I pray, Father God, that they would know that they are loved by you. 
and by the body around them. Father God, I pray that you would help them order their day so that each day would be not only productive, but that it would glorify you. I pray, Father God, that you would be honored in every action of our lives. Father God, we submit ourselves to you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.